Crock Elite, a podcast about no effects. It hasn't really been so long, though, has it? No, but the, this footwear, like, thank you so much. Oh, do you know what? I, I realised I had an excess of them and thought, I know who wants these. <laughs> well, Our filthy no, listeners. All the filthy listeners, that's what you want, isn't it? You shoeverts, <laughs> which is a shoe pervert. That's what you want, yes. Named after the fact that people used to throw shoes at them, which shows just how, how much they've improved as a band. <laughs> so long, and thanks for all the shoes. It's a, it's a big fun one. It is a big fun one. Yes, we're uh, very, very excited about uh, this. Well, I certainly am, as you'll as you'll hear. We recorded this a little while ago. We're just recording the uh, the intros and the outros now, close to the dates, um, so we can be a bit more up to date on stuff. But uh, some things don't need to be uh, updated, like so long and thanks for all the shoes. Absolutely. And also, uh, welcome to uh, the newer listeners who just listened to the big albums that they like. Hello. How are you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yes. We uh, we see you and we get it. Um, it's <laughs> we understand. Cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But when when getting into a podcast, you sort of, especially if they're covering things you're, you're familiar with, you go, well, I'm going to listen to these ones first and see if I can bear to be around these people for any longer than necessary. <laughs> Appreciate that, and, uh, and and we get it. So, if you're new, welcome. This is Punk Rock Elite Podcast. I'm Eddie French, and I'm Red Redmond, and that's the two people who are here pretty much all the time. Uh, if you are coming back, welcome. Lovely to see you. Sit down at your regular table. We we have them for you. They're all labeled. <laughs> we just know where they are. So, uh, another deep dive today. How have you been, Red? What have you been up to? I've been very well, thank you. I've been been at work. I did. Uh, I, I, I work at a venue in Sheffield where I put on all of their comedy events. We had Lucy Beaumont last night, who is Ooh. a lovely, lovely woman and yes. a fantastic comedian. Um, and she was even dropped off at the venue in her Tesla by John Richardson, her um, her, her, her her famous telly husband, off of the telly. Yeah, and in real life. Yes, both, both real. Yeah. It's not. It's not just like uh, you know. If uh, Ted Danson were to drop Kirsty Alley off at work um, at the height <laughs> of Cheers, um, I don't, why I chose something so out of date? I think it's because um, in the morning they show Frasier and/or Cheers on Channel Four, and I think that was the last thing I saw on the telly as I was putting some breakfast together and went i remember that show it's fun i mean that that is a classic eddie reference i think I mean, it really like, is isn't it if it's an 80s sitcom it's gonna get referenced in the podcast <laughs> it's sometimes yeah yeah sometimes it's i'm like i'm, I'm like that I'm it's usually that. mash though oh it's, it's mainly mash yeah that's my favorite one of the old ones i'm not wearing my mash t-shirt i'm actually wearing my twilight zone t-shirt today even older but speaking of your favourite one, today oh. is your favourite NoFX album. It is. It's the one that holds... It, it's the one for me that is NoFX. We all have our NoFX album. We all have the one that we go, uh, do you like NoFX? And bing, that album pops into your head. And this one is mine. Um, as you'll hear, I... Uh, I hold no truck with any criticism. No, that's not true. There's uh, there's plenty <laughs> to it. We, we, do, we do talk about it in slightly uh, 
less than um, overexcited, exaggerated ways. Um, but, but what um, what have you been up to? In, what in have I week? been up to? Well, um, oh, an announcement was made upon my behalf uh, that oh, yeah. I am now represented by Fruitcake, uh, your agency, which is that's, uh, that's my agency. It's your agency, which is nice, uh, and I appreciate it. Uh, so yes, yeah, so I am now a fruit, a fruit. I'm now a fruit. I'm now a fruitcake um, represented artiste. Which puts me in uh, in rather rather esteemed and lovely um, company, I must say. So that's very very pleasing. We've got a nice little roster now, and also, you know, uh, I know we're on air, but I'd still like to publicly apologise for the work that fell through last week. Uh, we were <laughs> briefly going to get Eddie to be the voice of a mechanical dinosaur at an all day children's event. Uh, mm. <laughs> that work fell through sadly, but. Let, let's just think about what could have been. Yes, absolutely. Well, what what happened? Well, to be honest, there's an aspect of that falling through that worked out in my favour. Um, <laughs> in that, the, for the past um, like twelve weeks, I've been uh, undergoing a routine to try and uh, stop being fat because the doctor said. That's quite a that's quite enough of that, thank you. If you want your <laughs> organs to continue working in a way that will produce some sort of life worth living, you need to stop it. So I um I'm not gonna tell you the name of the uh thing because I don't want to advertise them because it's run by an idiot. But uh, not an idiot. A wildly irritating man. Uh, idiocy suggests that he doesn't know what he's talking about. Sadly, he does. Sadly, he's put together a really, really good thing that will work. Unfortunately, um, he's a, a devotee of um, The Secret, uh, the uh, the self-help book that's essentially chaos magic for wine o'clock mum's net turfs. I mean, th- this does sound like you've taken up the meat-only diet of Jordan Peterson. No, um, no, I'm, I, I did this one specifically because I could maintain my uh, meat excluding vegan diet and uh, maintain it anyway. But no, no, uh, no. If um, I've never met anyone who's done who follows the words of Jordan Peterson without letting you know that before. I mean, this is coming from <laughs> a vegan, but fuck me, Jordan Peterson fans don't have to talk about that a lot. It's as if they have nothing else. Um, but you know, that's what happens when you need to be told things like tidy your room and have a wash. Uh, but if you hear it from a woman, it's too much like your mum, and that makes you sad and angry. So, you know, <laughs> that's broadly my, my interpretation of Jordan Peterson's appeal, but, uh, yeah. So, and, uh, it got to the last sort of section, this is why I'm getting to this, that, that dinosaur, the dinosaur training, which I would have been sent for. Which yeah, am, there was a there was a day of training. I am, to... gutted, I am gutted that I, I I've yet to undergo dinosaur training because that's <laughs> possibly possibly more excited about that than the actual work. Because well, uh, also, it's quite interesting because my understanding is you wouldn't actually be in the suit. They they hire right. like they hire professional wrestlers, which is what we were told to right. actually be in the suit. It's quite a large well, suit because it's hefty and they need the right and they need yeah, something yeah. acrobatic and 
yes. lot of muscle to be able to... Like, like quite hefty physical performers. So wrestlers right. are perfect. So you would be off stage with a, with a view of the stage and the audience. Yeah. And then you would do the voice of the dinosaur into a I, microphone. Apparently I'd have a microphone and a little control pad. Yes. I'd be like yeah, controlling yeah. The, the, the mouth movements and maybe the <laughs> yeah. eyes and stuff. So like... Um, uh, okay, I'll give you another uh, ancient reference. I remember when the very first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film came out. Yes, there's people in the suits. You can see there's them. People in the suits, but all of the faces were operated mechanically by a separate person who did the voices. <laughs> so they had sort of martial artist-y type people doing the high kicks and, the, and all of that stuff and the running and jumping. And then had um people with sort of keyboards basically but or, and they were all but they were all like sort of injection like with um syringes and and pneumatics and stuff and and it would operate like that so i would be essentially doing that <laughs> and saying but well, possibly saying cowabunga i didn't know i didn't i never got to read the script because <laughs> a big miscommunication meant that i wasn't required but uh, but basically yeah so the last 3 days of this um thing i've been doing or have done uh, involved me um, having to basically eat six meals a day that would have been um, essentially tofu and greens. Wow. Um, um, and that six times a day at regular intervals. And I'd have had to have carried that around with me throughout the day. And <laughs> I'd have to have driven. I mean, the drive there and back would have been at least three hours. Oh, sh- oh I didn't know it was that far. But it was Preston to do the training and then there was like derby and somewhere so uh, oh, not, course, not, yeah. not not a problem um not a, you know i was i was being remunerated sufficiently and i've driven further for a gig where i've been paid less so i'm not yeah you know that 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 bit wasn't the problem um but yeah so so thankfully it meant i didn't have to turn up with like sort of tupperware of um of, <laughs> of fucking stir fry and be like oh excuse me a minute I am I am slimming. Well, that's the second <laughs> meal you've eaten since you've been here. Yeah, I know. I am getting all thin now. So it, <laughs> I just didn't need to explain that to people. So I was able to do that in the in the privacy of my own home without any of that concern. But yes. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> but but what it did mean? Well, what it has mean, meant is that I've I've started running just as a regular thing, which is just awful. But it is actually the most useful thing for this podcast because um, I never really run for longer than the duration of a No Effects album. <laughs> Very good. Not as a rule, just by my own level of fitness. So it means that um, the last handful of these deep dives we've done have all been, um, I've been listening to them whilst running, which is quite a good distraction because... That's a really good idea. That's quite a good idea. We're, we're getting to the... Because there's nothing else to do but listen to the music. Because if I'm sat at home, I'll pick up my phone. If I, you know, I'll, I'll yes, be of course. looking at the computer while I'm doing it. I'll be whatever. Even if I'm cooking or something, I'll be distracted for periods where I don't want to cut bits of me off with a knife, for example. So, you know, so, pardon me. So that's what I've been, uh, I've been doing. And what's handy is, is that we've got to the point now where we're in very well charted territory for me. Mm-hmm. So long anything from sort of um after heavy petting zoo pretty much all of these albums i've i've got i've heard i've listened to a lot 
so I'm so these are all like refreshes. So that's exciting. So yeah, so um, so sadly not a dinosaur yet, but um, uh, you know, but the good thing is is that you know dinosaurs will die. So very good. Well. Yeah, but which we which we got to wait a little bit for because um, that's not the next album, is it? Well, it is the next album full length, but the next mm-hmm. release we're doing after this one is the decline. And Timmy the Turtle, because um can't leave Timmy the Turtle out. That would be no, really it's, it's, a, it's a banger. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we we so um but we we talk about uh we talk about a lot in this one. This one is uh yeah, I think it's 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 a quintessential release and should be in the I can't see it not being in the top five of most people's no effects list, yeah. to my mind. Absolutely, and and if if it isn't like if if this is an album you don't like but you oh, like yeah. No Effects, please do let us know. Like I, oh, I, I yeah. would be so interested in why someone you know wouldn't lord this as as one of their better albums. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's. Uh, I think Mike has said that he thinks it's their best album at certain points. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said that um, it's come up a few times on our you know favorite No Effects album questions that we've asked people. You yeah, know, the it's it's uh, it's something. It was the last one of the naughty of the nineties. Mm. I don't know if that's uh, that's got something to do with it, which makes it pretty old now. So um, yeah, it'll be coming up for coming up for twenty five years old. Ooh, I know it's a terrifying thought, but uh, that's all right. Well, we'll uh, we'll talk to you uh, afterwards, I suppose. We'll find out what's what. So uh, here is so long, and thanks for all the shoes. Hope you enjoy. Enjoy. It's here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's here. Uh, for those not listening, I just did the uh, sting myself uh, vocally uh, just to give us the time frame. So yeah, we might leave that in. Anyway, <laughs> so long and thanks for all the shoes. Uh, released in 1997 on Epitaph Records, a full length by No Effects, released uh, in November of 1997, which is interesting because I always equate this with Sunshine. This oh, okay. album, I but that's probably when I was listening to it the most was during nice weather. But uh, there we go. It's um, it was it was recorded in August though, so that makes sense. I do think you're onto something. I think it is the most like summer sounding album they have made. Mm. There's something yeah. that re- it, it reminds me of, like music festivals, and I, I don't know that there is something quite uh, summery about it all. Yes, which is weird because I don't think there are any ma- any actual um, references to any season whatsoever. Yeah, uh, throughout it, but that's uh, possible, uh, possible not. So, yep. So that's uh, doesn't say how long it took to record this one. They were probably able to have quite a a, a nice relax, not relaxed, but you know, more than three days for this one. So that's good. Hmm. Um, what did you know about? So long and thanks for all the shoes prior to this. You know, like, obviously, it's one of the albums that I'm more familiar with, with it being one of their more successful albums. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say this is, um, and I'm talking in terms of, like, um, notoriety, I'd say this is probably, like, their second most um, famous album, for want of a better word, behind Punk and Drublick. Um I mean, I you think know, so. I'm, I'm sure I, people would disagree, but I think it's this or white trash. Yeah, as, I suppose, the, as, 
that depends like when you were sort of like actively into them, I suppose. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. People a little a shade older than me, maybe would be more. Well, it goes white trash, punk and droblick, and then a steady decline. Whereas um, maybe if you're a bit younger, you might sort of think the decline co- huh, the decline comes a bit later. Fun, <laughs> but you know um, the 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 sort of the um, uh, the the lessening of quality or, or whatever. The, just whenever you're into them or not. So yeah. So yeah. Um, how did you find uh, listening to it through uh, these past couple of weeks? I you know like um, I will be completely honest and say it's not. It is obviously. I think it's one of their strongest albums. But of their strongest albums, it's not one of my personal favorites. I can totally sure. recognize that it is one of their best albums. But for some reason, it just to like my own uh, personal taste and whatever, it's not my favorite. Um, but I will say on like because I've listened to this a lot before doing this episode, mm. it has certainly grown on me, and I do I do see a lot more. I, I appreciate it a lot more. Um, one thing that's really jumped out at me in these in these listens is it, it has my favorite um, Scar songs that they've that they've done because um, yes. big fan of All Out of Angst, Eat the yeah. Meek, um, but then also uh, Flossing a Dead Horse <laughs> um, is I forgot like how good that was, um, which is you know sort of like a great sort of Scar instrumental. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I think it's really interesting because I think I think what really jumps out of me at this album is the sound because I think it has a relatively unique sound. Obviously, it does sound quintessentially no effects, mm. but there's a lot of treble in this. Yes. And it's not like, you know, it's it's not the punk and droblick sound. Well, I, I think one of the most impressive things about this is obviously we've had punk and droblick before this and mm. then we had a couple EPs, was it? Oh, no, we had Heavy Petting Zoo, yes, which had... wasn't my favourite. Sure, um, we've had... Well, this the, the Heavy Petting Zoo was the last full length before this. Yes. Um, by a year or two. And uh, and we had... Uh, Fuck the Kids was the release just before this because we get... Mm-hmm. Uh, what do we get? We get Murder the Government and I'm Telling Tim from that EP. Gussied up a little bit put in some uh, nicer clothes and released on this full length in their in their ultimate form I guess. And I think it's a remarkable like return to form like because uh, for me you know not a big fan of Harry Petting Zoo mm-hmm. but I do appreciate the, the 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 speed and the intensity of of fuck the kids. Yeah. And I feel like here they've you know like it, it's a it's a proper full length album where they've clearly spent a lot of time in the studio you know, over overdubbing things, whereas, you know, obviously Fuck the Kids was recorded in, you know, a day and yes. they were songs that they weren't even familiar with before the recording sessions. So, I mean, it was almost an exercise in can we do this super fast? And so this is them returning to, oh, no, let's actually take our time on things and at least um, make them a little bit more rounded around the edges. Although... Am I right in saying that the the actual music themselves for each of the songs were actually written quite hastily? Mike says that he gave himself a 20-minute limit for each of the songs that ended up on this album. Now, I assume that's just for the actual 
music and maybe the melody i'm guessing the lyrics took a little bit longer that's my own yeah. theory but but basically because heavy passing zoo was so overthought and he, mike has said that he feels that it the 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 failings on that album are because it was so overthought and every single little centimeter of it was analyzed to breaking point that it became less of an album that they feel good about i guess so Mm. uh, that's it well it actually says i'm reading the liner notes here the music on this album was recorded in three days but the vocals took forever every song except for eat the meek 180 degrees and all his suits are torn were recorded on the first take sloppiness counts (laughs) So I'm guessing they were recording it at once, like yeah. together, but you know, so, uh, sort of separate. And um, and there will have been overdubs involved in that and stuff. So um, uh, I'm guessing that's how they did it. They might not have done. It might have been built up in a lay the drums down with a guide track, add stuff on top of it, and all the rest of it. Um, interesting about this is that I think aside from eat the meek i don't think hefe sings on this album and i don't think melvin sings on this album yeah i was thinking that all of the harmonies are done by spike slawson from me first and the gimme gimmies oh wow so not even the harmonies no 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 backing vocals but done by uh eric or hefe there are a couple mel yells which i'm guessing there are some mel yells but the 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 harmony vocals yeah, yeah. were done by Spike, but there's backups uh, and also Hefe sings uh, "Eat the Meek," or you know does lead vocals on some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, interesting uh, that that happened. So uh, and also uh, Nate Albert from uh, I think he was in the Boss Tones. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, Nate Albert from the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones plays all of the scar guitar on this. Oh, okay, that's interesting. All of the uh, all of the uppick, all of the upstrokes, because uh, Mike said the scar game wasn't strong enough, so they brought him in. And now they're using your man from Goldfinger to play uh, some of the like all that all out of angst and stuff like that live, mm. because uh, you know. But he's he's listed in there. It's uh, it says uh, Chanky Guitar by Nate Albert. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, and I think on uh, when they did their split with Rancid, they got one of the Mad Caddies to play the uh, guitar on radio by Rancid. Mm. Oh, okay. For the recording and stuff. So, yeah, but... um, That explains a lot, really, because I think this... I think this album sounds more polished than a lot of their previous work. Yeah, and I was gonna particularly like single out the harmonies as being a real step up. So interesting that they've brought Spike in to do yes. that. Yes, um, he. Uh, it it seems that Mike is um, very very fond of making the album as good as it can be. Yeah. However, that happens. I mean, you know, right back at the beginning, they had half of bad religion doing the harmonies on um uh, snm airlines and stuff like that so they they bring in whoever they need to to make the album and then they learn how to do it live 
you know i was i was listening to uh, we'll probably get to it so i don't want to go into it too long because um it'll probably be a uh, an imminent episode on the decline yes but uh but, which is a really annoying because um only a few days ago did krista makes of less than jake on his podcast release part two of his talk with fat mike about the writing and recording of the decline which is two hours straight from the horse's mouth. And I don't know what we can add to that conversation, knowing that that <laughs> exists out there in the world. Go, oh, it's called when the trombone does the la, la, la. But, you know, so, you know, we'll try it anyway, obviously, because we can't do a podcast about no effects and not talk about the decline. That's insane. So, um, but he said that um, he he played a lot of the guitars on that as well as the bass. Mm. and um and uh hefe didn't sing any backing vocals on that he sings a lead vocal on it but it was melvin and spike doing all of the vocals on it all, all of the harmony vocals and stuff which is interesting because you sort of think of hefe as being the one the sort of the most musical of them but uh not what mike was going for so it does seem that the more you sort of unpick this it seems like Fat Mike is kind of the puppet master. That sounds insulting to the other members, but do you know what I mean? It sounds like he's sort of got a very mm-hmm. clear vision of what it needs to be, and if someone there can't do it, they bring in someone who can. But it doesn't sound like that's led to any uh, animosity or you know negative no. feelings no. between the band. No, um, absolutely. Um, and also, I, also what I think is quite interesting is, you know, like these aren't songs that they struggle to play live. Like I know they do, as you mentioned, bring in like they've got the guitarist from Goldfinger to play a couple songs with them uh, at yeah. the moment. But like overall, they do play their set themselves. Yeah. So I'll, I think with this with this album, I'm, I was mainly talking about the decline um, when we hmm. should be talking about this. But yeah, <laughs> with this, I think they're I think these are uh simple songs they're not complex songs in that there's not the sort of rkl style riffs going on Mm -hmm. it's very chord and octave chord approach to it you know it's not uh there's some there's some little fiddly bits on the guitar um you know i'm telling tim's got a lovely doodly in it you know that's uh and all these little flourishes but it's not um sort of single string riffs and stuff yeah. like that you know it's it's uh it's quite and i suppose that comes from having that 20 minute guideline on the songs so uh that's my my theory on it anyway but uh yeah so it starts off oh what's this it's my job to keep punk rock elite well that that's name's a, never gonna catch on i don't know it's a good name for a podcast though i think it's not as good as the revolution is going to be a podcast but we've already given ourselves a hard enough time <laughs> For that um yeah i mean as far as i think we're back to uh your uh your rule of excellent opening numbers because yes the the guitar is so abrasive and trashy mm-hmm. and it's and and with that what you're saying earlier about it being a very treble heavy upper mid heavy sound like even the kick drum is super clicky it's like the most yeah. fat sound that they got on one of their albums what i think is is the the bass as well in so many of these songs yeah. is like uh it's so jangly yes 
yeah, it's kind of get... doing the the opposite of what a base usually does in yes it, it's like kids of the k-hole starts off and it mm. sounds like the newest strings that have ever been applied to a bass ever done it yeah absolutely absolutely like these 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 were still as he was like threading them in they were still being wound in the factory they are that new <laughs> it's um it sounds it sounds so bright and yeah uh, but but it also cuts through um it doesn't feel like there's anything lacking to me. And I think one of the reasons that I really, really latched onto this around, I mean, I probably, and so it came out like very late 97, which makes sense that I would have heard this sort of the middle of 2000, uh, middle of 1998 or so. And as when we were getting into stuff like that, but that was when a lot of my friends were getting into new metal, mm-hmm. which, and stuff like, corn and stuff which was just all bottom end yeah 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 and so this was like this was like a drink of water in the desert (laughs) you know i mean there were melodies there was harmonies there wasn't just you know crotch grabbing crap (laughs) souls for any new metal fans out there but come on and stop (laughs) trying to take the deaf tones you don't deserve them um (laughs) But you know, it's it's that kind of that kind of thing, and so so you know, anytime you got your go on the CD player, because we this was pre aux cables and everything. This is like you mm-hmm. know, so you real because you had to like your physical media was in danger when you f- fought with your friends over what was going on next. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was like it was that kind of thing. So you know, and um, I also felt shortchanged because new metal songs have gone for ages, and all of these are like two minutes two and a half at the most eat the meek being three and a half but that's mm-hmm. a very different kind of song um so that's why i i think it was a sort of a little oasis in the desert uh for me uh because it was just so trebly it was so apparent what it was but that yeah it's my job to keep punk rock elite when it starts out with that guitar it's so grimy and unpleasant that guitar tone but it's yeah. it fits perfectly in the mix and it just sounds so abrasive and then the drums kick in you the first the first vocal you get is a mel yell great some <laughs> sort of barking thing that he did it's like quite a new mel yell as well because he hadn't really started doing a lot of that like the actual yelling thing like and it especially used a lot on the decline but this is where it sort of first comes in um in in sort of in in uh in a big way and it's just uh it's a real statement of intent and it's the first time it's sort of saying nah fuck this you don't get punk rock if you're not punk rock you don't get to have it and that's really cool yeah i think it's a yeah as we said you know it, we're back to when they open with just some of the best songs on the album because I, I think that that is through listening to their back catalogue. What I've noticed about um, No Effects is that they, you know, they front load albums with one of their biggest tracks, and I feel like we didn't really get that with Heavy Petting Zoo. So yeah, homophobic. It's like, oh, brilliant, a pun, nice one. It's really weird. Homophobic feels like a sort of, you know, like. Those songs towards the end of Punk and Droblick, like Punk Guy and Happy Fleas Guy. Fleas and Happy Guy, yeah, maybe. Yeah, like where it's just sort of like, yeah, let's stick another one on towards the end of the album, but it doesn't feel like an opener. Yeah, no, it really doesn't. We've spoken about 
heavy pettings are enough. Of let's, course. Uh, let's enjoy this. Uh, but you're, you're absolutely <laughs> right. You're absolutely right, though. Um, and uh, yeah, Kids of the K-Hole, a lovely intro that just builds and builds and builds. Yeah. It's 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 great because it's, it's not even two and a half minutes, and yet it gives itself a real big breathing space at the beginning with the ding, 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 and all that stuff. And then the uh, the octave chord building and the the drums coming in and out and stuff. It's really great. And I, I think this is really exciting following Fuck the Kids where like, you know, you mentioned those like flourishes in the in the songs. Like there's loads of, you know, like, you know, the song, they'll, the song will be playing and then there'll be like a lovely little um, just guitar, um, like sting almost mm. like here and there. And these are things that you just didn't get in Fuck the Kids because of the way it was recorded and the way they wanted it to be. There were no overdubs. It was just. Yeah. All, all. All was ha- all that was happening was happening right there. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and yeah, then you get Murder the Government and Monosyllabic Girl, which are sort of, I think, uh, I don't know what I just put them together because it takes less than two less than two minutes to listen to both of them. Just over a minute and a half for yeah. uh, two very different songs because one is a sort of a straight up anti-establishment sort of thing, and and it, and he sung this through. Let me see who would have been in Clinton would have been in at this point through Bush, through Obama, through Trump, through Biden. You know, he's just continued to sing this. Oh, he did sing. Uh, Want to watch the Black House overturn when Obama was in the uh, in the White House, which uh, <laughs> which is funny. But um, it's um, it's just there's something really sort of boneheaded about it in the approach, but not in the substance. It's sort of very straightforward, which I I really like. I think this might be their sort of most no-nonsense, and I think that comes from the spirit in which it was made. Yes. Yeah. yeah, Like, let's just make a record almost like we used to, but but we're better now. I think I would struggle to name a songwriter who is capable of writing such short songs that do feel like whole songs. (laughs) <laughs> so like like yeah. murder the government and more so monosyllabic girl mm. like it, it really does feel like a full song it's it's under a minute but it, it honestly doesn't need to be a second longer no like it's in and out it does what it does and I, I don't know like I, I know that you know I, I'm obviously like into punk and hardcore so I know a lot of other bands that like do write and record like shorter songs but they mm. always feel like the verse of a song, right? They rarely feel like a full song themselves. I'm thinking like, I don't know, Minor Threat, something like yeah. that, um, where it kind of feels like, yeah, that was definitely an idea, but I'm not sure if I'd call it a song. It's sort of, <laughs> yeah, it's sort of, it's that thing of, um, I've got a list of things I want to say, and when I finish saying them, the music will stop. <laughs> yeah. Which is, <laughs> yeah. Which is absolutely valid as, a, as an approach. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but being able to, there was, um, this is, Fuck me, this cut is going to be deep for pretty much nobody. Um, there was a band in the 90s called Ultrasound who were a sort of sort of proggy indie band. They had an enormous singer. The singer and guitarist was this huge guy uh, called Tiny because um, <laughs> we were very funny in those days. But um, they... I remember reading it. A friend of mine was obsessed with them. And I read a, an interview in the NME with them. And all of their songs were like six minutes long, seven minutes long, really, really long songs. And they and they were asked about it. 
and he said, it's weird. We've got this um, compilation of like bubblegum pop hits that are all like between two and two and a half minutes long. And we're just amazed at how they can fit everything they want to do in a song in that amount of time. Mm. Because honestly, we're making these songs as short as we can. It's just everything we want to do in that song takes that long. Yeah. And I thought that's that's an interesting thing. And I thought, and I thought that that's sort of an interesting thing because if yeah, the thing with like monoslavic girl, for example, you've got sort of two verses, two choruses, and then it's got that lovely bit where everything drops out except for the bass and the vocals, the harmonies and stuff. And it does feel like every little bit of box is ticked. It doesn't mm-hmm. have a bridge, but it doesn't need one. There's no, nothing exactly. Yeah. Cause it's also, I mean, I think it was a song about one of them who I think it might've been Melvin's girlfriend who just didn't say a lot. And that's a song now because that's how it works. And I think that's really, really cool. Um, but it's also dead nice. It's um, it also turns up. There's a little nod to it on uh, biopsy girl mm, from yeah. single album. Um, but yeah, I think that's great. And then there's a couple of songs on here that I think feel like a bridge from Heavy Petting Zoo. Sure. And 180 Degrees and mm-hmm. Dad's Bad News. Yes. Because yeah. those are two kind of slower, chuggier songs. The difference being is not only the production, the guitars are nowhere near as like heavy and sludgy, but also there's melodies in these ones. Yeah, absolutely. I just, you know, it's difficult to say what this album has that Heavy Petting Zoo doesn't because I think it, I think Heavy Petting Zoo loses its way somewhere in the uh, the writing process. And I think this very much, you know, excels in mm. the writing process. Yeah. Um, and obviously we aren't in the band, so we can't say exactly. No. We've asked. The <laughs> <laughs> they said no. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, we can pure, we can only speculate as to what made this um, more successful, but it, it really is heads and shoulders above a heavy mm. petting zoo, in my opinion. Sure. Uh, mine too. But yeah, so uh, 180 degrees, 180 degrees, I suppose they'll uh, they'll insist it's called because that's how it's pronounced in the lyrics. But then again, we say Blink-182 instead of uh, Blink-182 like uh, they do in Americans. <laughs> it's just how we say one and eight. I mean, it'd be funny if it was uh, 182 degrees. <laughs> but it's not about that at all. So it's just, uh, yeah. So um, yeah, the... Um, Yeah, um, I think is it? Oh no, not one eighty degrees. I'm 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 skipping ahead. It's all his suits are torn. That's the song that f- reminds me of Heavy Petting Zoo. Uh, okay, yeah. News. Sorry, not one eighty degrees. I've no idea why. I've, I've just <sighs> anyway. Um, there is something. It reminds me of uh, Filthy Phil Philanthropist. Uh, all his suits are torn. Yeah, a little bit. It's it's a character study, but it's also kind of. Um, it's sort of slower. It's a bit sort of yeah. It's got it's got an unusual drum beat. Um, it's got more of a sort of a mod drum beat, like a sort of a northern soul kind of sound to it. 
Um, and similarly with the Dad's Bad News, which is that one that starts with that very... I don't know why the bass at the beginning of Dad's Bad News, that ding, 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 ding. It sounds like those are the loosest bass strings in the world. They sound so... <laughs> floppy and rattly it's wild <laughs> i don't i don't know how that works at all but uh but well done everybody um so yeah so that's um yeah now all his suits are t- yeah now uh 180 degrees is uh is fantastic um because it's got the uh it's got the scar and it's got the punk it's you know all blended together really nicely but yeah all his suits are torn is uh is an interesting one i think that is like a heavy passing zoo uh style song mm-hmm. just yeah. better if you see what i mean yeah no i th- i think you're completely right I, I i can hear that um and yeah i just just doing a lot of interesting things you know you mentioned like the bass sound there um i think it's interesting because i imagine they've used a fair few tricks to uh record certain parts of this however whenever i've heard these songs live um they don't sound too too dissimilar um, no i suppose not well mike uses a different he uses i think he uses a fender precision to record and he uses that dan electro um yeah. live because he doesn't have the best of backs and those dan electros are hollow so they weigh absolutely nothing oh okay i didn't know that so uh, that's not his studio guitar mm. Also, I don't think Hefe uses the uh, that Telecaster of his in the studio. I think he uses SGs and Les Pauls, yeah, um, and stuff like that, and uses that guitar because it stays in tune and is reliable, and they know how to work it. Basically, um, as is my understanding from a whole slew of interviews that I've read. But um, yeah, so uh, I think that that's uh, it's it's a great little character thing is all the suits are torn, which takes us into all outer angst, which is uh, a highlight. Yeah, I mean it's it's I've I know I've said it before. It's my favorite Scar song that No Effects do. Mm. I, I think, um, and I think it's really um, uh, you can hear it in this song. But I think one of the standout parts of this entire album is Mike's bass playing. Um, we've got mm. some really interesting bass sounds in it, but also. These walking bass lines, which obviously are very present in all our angst. Yeah. Um, it's one, they're really, really well written and performed. Like they are like good, uh, technically well-crafted bass lines, but also to then sing over the top of them. Yes. I, I do think that Mike's bass playing is a little bit of an unsung hero of no effects because we concentrate on his songwriting and him as like the leader of the band and like the production mm. side of it but he is a, a very good bass player that's true he he has an interesting approach he he uses mm, yeah. up picks a lot yeah he doesn't he starts off with an up pick rather than a down pick um which is uh, very unorthodox and he's got that triplet roll style mm. that he sort of um that he believes he created and uh and i'm not saying he believes he created because i disagree with him i'm i i agree with it i think he did invent it because i don't know if anyone knows where that kind of sounds like this like at the beginning of idiots are taking over if anyone knows where that kind of thing if anyone's heard that from someone you know oh what are you talking about jacob astorius was doing that with his fingers in 1960 then by all means tell me but i don't think he was do you know who i actually think it's i'm not saying that it is exactly the same but i feel like it's in the school of 
Lemmy's bass playing because it's sort of like the way he would like do those those driving bass lines that you almost strum it like a guitar rather than well, he, he did strum it like a guitar he uh mm. he he played he played rhythm guitar on yeah. the bass yes was his uh was his thing so uh yeah there's a bit like that i th- i mean we saw when we saw um the leeds uh final show he had um little chris from Lagwagon and formerly rkl Mm-hmm. and was talking about how he is the greatest punk rock bass player. Yeah. You know, he was saying this guy, this is, you know, and and you can see that in some of the um in the decline actually you hear that ding 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 that's super RKLE. Yeah. That sort of open string and then hammering on right up the top of the neck and getting all the weird, you know, playing it like a sort of a weird lead instrument. Sort of rhythmically but also melodically like really really it's it's hard to do and it, the the sort of closest thing you get to it is that tool song sure you know that one i can't remember the name of it but it's got that kind of bling bling you know a lot of hammer on stuff and people go sort of crazy for that and um and then talk about how you know no effects are bad musicians and no more <laughs> no people say that more than no effects but you know yeah i was going to say i feel like it's a, a, it's a, a myth that they perpetuate it is and and but the thing is is that i think people can believe it because everyone has seen no effects if, <clears throat> if you've seen no effects multiple times everyone has seen a no effects show that was by any other band standard absolute crap <laughs> yep like fucking dreadful but for whatever reason if you're a fan of no effects you just go well this is brilliant this is like it's just ticking it <laughs> off the list isn't it see no effects when they were good brilliant on that ideally in this order and then see no effects when they were dog shit you go oh good good i'm glad i've seen that's good tick again uh, <laughs> normally that was at festivals you could always guarantee a, yeah. a sort of a it would lean more towards the not very good side at a festival you know, particularly if it was in the middle of festival season, they were all getting a bit bored of it and stuff, you know. So, um, which is actually why um, one of the things um, Mike was talking about in that thing where he was saying that, you know, that one of the reasons they're sort of splitting up is like, he's like, I've ruined my body with drugs and alcohol just to feel good enough to go on stage and do the job. Mm. And it's like, well, yeah, lots of people do that. And it's a shame that it gets to that. But he's like, but now I don't have to do that. Yeah, I've decided not to. And uh, you go, well, you know, have, he said because you know we it's, it's about the line we are the whores in um, the decline. He's like, well, we're all whores. Everyone who sells their body in whatever way, someone who works in a mine, someone who works in a shop, a musician, a sex worker, we're all whores. Yeah, because you do ultimately sell your body and make it, let's face it, worse as a result of having to earn money with it. And um, mm. it's a very difficult. Uh, suggestion to refute i certainly don't hello everyone eddie here red and i hope you're enjoying our show if you have been and would like to help us make it a little more easily then you can donate to us at our coffee page which is ko-fi.com forward slash punk rock elite or you can look in the show notes for our link tree if you can't help us financially, we totally understand, but would love it if you spread the word to other people who would like this podcast. We thank you for your continued support. We massively appreciate it. Back to the show. Yeah, so all out of angst. I mean, this sort of little bit here, all out of angst, I'm telling Tim, 
the the version that should have been all the way you've got the male yell in there you've got slightly yeah. revised lyrics you've got the little guitar lead on it as well mm-hmm. it's just it's oh it's just perfect and what's that one minute 17 oh just it, it's another it's yet another no effect song that when i actually look at its runtime i can't believe it i'm like wait <laughs> that song's only that short but there's yeah, so yeah. much to it yeah yeah it's um it's great because I didn't know what this was about for years and years and years, um, and it's about uh, it's about the guy who did the Maximum Rock and Roll Zine, mm-hmm. um, and all the rest of it, you know. And it's about getting blacklisted, and it's uh, all this stuff. But it's and it's sort of like this really charming little love letter to it, I think. Anyway, um, but it's just musically, it's just wonderful. It's relentless. And then at the end, um, it it does a slow down half speed bit that really just sort of brings brings it back when it comes out. It's just like you say, one minute seventeen, and it doesn't need to be half a second longer. Yeah, it's just it's just perfect. Uh, oh, fun cover time! Yes, um, I was listening to this album right before we we recorded this. And I was playing it in the living room and um, this song came on and uh, Kate, my my girlfriend, was like, oh, I actually like this one. I'm like, (laughs) oh, but this is a cover. (laughs) Now, I'm not familiar with the original per se. I just know that I've heard it before. I don't know where it's from. It's a bit of a standard, I think, in that sort of easy Mm -hmm. listening kind of thing. It's um, it's used over the end credits of the Darjeeling Limited, the ah. film with Adrian Brody and other actors. Was it Wes Anderson? Well, I can't remember. Feels it is like when, it. Wes Anderson, oh, yeah. yes, with Jason Schwartzman as well. That's it, yes. I Because uh, I went to see this at the cinema with uh, some friends of mine who um, they, they knew NoFX a bit through me. I was the NoFX fan. They'd, I'd sort of done them copies of stuff and and they and but they all liked Champs Elysees because I think uh, Claire, my friend, her dad uh, was a, a music teacher, like a, a school music teacher, and so knew that had quite an eclectic taste of music and stuff. Been keeping up with it all over the years and stuff. And uh, and we were and the the end of Darjeeling Limited. It's not a spoiler to tell you that the final shot is just you follow a train down a, a track. It's all about trains, isn't it? In the countryside, there is a train. So you follow a train down the track all the way as the credits roll, and it has the original or an... I get the feeling this is one of those where you think the original, but it's actually there's one recorded a year before and one recorded... But um, And I sort of... I was like, I I do know this song, but because obviously it was done with a sort of a big band or like a sort of Herb Alberty sort of Tijuana brass vibe to it, it wasn't until it got oh Champs Elysees <laughs> and uh, and the uh, the trumpet and we all just started laughing loads because we were like oh that's right it's this song yeah <laughs> it's uh, it is it is proper proper good fun apparently he just remembered uh, being taught this song uh, in his French lessons at school oh okay and, yeah and, and they decided to to do it and it's um, it is proper charming. I also like it's a surprisingly uh popular song of theirs. I've seen them mm-hmm. play this live a fair few times. It's yeah. uh it's you know, it's become a NoFX signature song, really. Very strange, but yes, it's like a second tier 
yeah. signature song really it's uh, right. it's kind of odd you know i mean if someone if they didn't play it it wouldn't be like them not playing linoleum no sure but it's also kind of wild that it's as popular as it is um but yeah uh a little highlight as well for me actually just because i do find it so fun yeah um, it is it's it's and it's one of their more fun songs i think because a lot of their other fun songs usually has some sort of dark ulterior motive to it but because this is a a cover written you know yes it's, decades it's, before it's face value <laughs> um yeah. entirely so that's um that's nice uh, which and it actually goes into maybe the darkest song on the album which obviously it does because how else would you lay out this album you know so dad's bad news which i think is the most heavy petting zoo song on this album yeah it's sort of like mid-tempo isn't it um, it's, it's got a trudge to it but it does have it's got a lot of things that are lacking on heavy petting zoo to my mind it has a melody it's got some nice harmonies on it there's actual sort of songwriting going on in there for me anyway um about um about uh, depression and possibly paranoid schizophrenia running in the family. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, take that, Champs-Élysées. Um, Something about, like, um, <laughs> grade-A psycho dick. That's yes. just a really funny line. Yes, it is. Um, yeah, that's... Uh, oh, no, a grade-A psychotic. Oh, is it? I was yeah, a psycho dick. <laughs> so did I. I thought that for you. I'd not, I'd not even looked that up. Oh, yes, yeah, so I've grade A psychotic. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to still sing Psycho Dick because yeah. I think uh, the disrespect is uh, funnier. I mean, but <laughs> I mean, this line here might actually be in the running for my favorite lyric. You can see it from the hole in his head. A saner man would have used a bigger gun. <laughs> Brilliant. That's That's pretty great. I mean, you know... <laughs> But there's a whole load of fucking spooky horror goth metal types out there going, oh shit, that was that was good. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, yeah, um, yeah. But anyway, that also this features uh, a tambourine played by uh, Ryan Green, the producer. Yes, a little tambourine in the uh, no simple way to tell you some that bit. And he's uh, produced a lot of their stuff, right? Yes, he's responsible for the fat sound. Mm, yeah. I think he came on for um, uh, Punk and Drublick. And I wonder how um, how much time and effort and thought was gone into... Because I think this has such a, a different sound to Punk and Drublick. But there is yeah. something that... It, it sounds very quintessential, no effects. And I wonder if they sort of like had a conversation where they're like, we want to... We want this album to have its own sound, but we don't want it to have Punkin Drublick's sound. I, um, I think the guitars are a lot less heavy. Yes, I the agree. gain is reduced a lot on this album mm-hmm. because, like, the, like, um, in fact, if we're talking about Dad's Bad News, but with the the palm muted chugging guitars, those don't sound super super. Whereas they would do on maybe Heavy Petting Zoo, mm-hmm. or if you took the guitar tone from Punk and Droblick and like chugged it really hard, it would be a very, very 
fat saturated heavily distorted sound whereas this is a lot cleaner and i yeah. think it suits the i think it suits no effects more slightly cleaner guitars you know they're, they're not always totally clean there's you know if you do a nice big power chord it'll sound good but that's when you really twat shit out of it that's that's um i personally i've always liked to tone you've got to kind of fight out of a guitar there yeah. are some there are some metal bands where you're sort of very gently tapping the strings and it's coming out <laughs> it's like earn it come on actually hit the thing it's made of wood you're not going to damage it so um you know that's what that's what i like but um yeah great um yeah that's bad news that's cool we get to uh, a bit of shit stirring and kill rock stars Yes. Now, am I right in thinking this song is low-key about... Well, not even necessarily low-key, but it's no. about the singer from La Tigre or La Tigre? Kathleen Hanna, yes. Uh, who I believe... I think she's married to a Beastie Boy. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, she was She was from Bikini Kill. Yeah. And then yeah. La Tigre. Which uh, I'm, I'm kind of got because La Tigre have just done a short uh, tour of the UK, and I did kind of want to go to that. Like they are yeah. a band that I miss. Yes, it is a shame. Um, it's uh, I like uh, I think I like Bikini Kill more than La Tigre, but La Tigre are pretty cool. Um, but yeah, uh, she had a, a record label, maybe still has it called Kill Rock Stars, and on. Uh, on Decepticon, which is a, a song, yeah, uh, she makes fun of the song Linoleum, or she references Linoleum. Says your lyrics really are dumb. Decepticon. That's like yeah. their, one of their biggest songs. Your lyrics are dumb, like a linoleum floor. I'll walk on it. I'll walk all over you. So uh, sure, <laughs> that's what she wrote in response to uh, this song. Kill. Oh, so Kill that Rangers. was in response to this. Yes. Um, it was it was an idea that uh, uh, the whole idea is this sort of um, the thing. I mean, you can't threaten Mike with walking all over him. I mean, he pays women good money for that. That's true. We didn't know that at the time. <laughs> this is this is very much closeted Mike, right? Yes. So uh, you know the uh, the being. Yeah, I mean, a... now I think about it, like this album is a little sexless. Uh, yes. It is actually, yeah. There's um, there's a song about you know being in love with the monosyllabic girl. Might as yeah. well be a bloody Blink One Eight Two song, isn't that little sex in it? Because um, <laughs> it's funny because even when Blink One Eight Two write about sex, they write about sex as if they've never had it before, which <laughs> is uh, which is really funny. Um, Lord love them, but um, yeah, it's. Uh, because you know, like it's just one of one of the staples of no effects is you know a lot of lyrics about not even necessarily about sex itself, but about like um, sexuality, yeah, and like and gender politics. I yeah. suppose there's a little bit of that with Kill Rock Stars. I mean, Kill Rock Stars, yeah, it's um, it's a sort of I think it was what Mike considered to be some hypocrisy about some sort of anti men. Um, what's the word? Anti anti man. Um, uh, like anti man. Um, oh, rhetoric. 
rhetoric, I suppose, or yeah, just yeah, that kind of thing. Some sort of uh, sort of anti anti man statements made by uh, Kathleen Hanna that he felt were sort of the same thing as misogyny, but flipped. Yeah. What, what um what losers online would now uh, immediately uh, screenshot and caption as Miss Andre. But it was basically the you know, I mean the line in it is you know I thought the goal here was mutual respect, and it's sort of the idea because I think she'd referred to them as being like frat boy punk bands like No Effects, sure. And obviously Mike being a sort of a, a closeted, um, you know, sissy, <laughs> you know, closeted, uh, you know, uh, what we now uh, know as sort of essentially being queer, probably felt quite hurt by that in that you know that well i mean it's been pro-feminism messages in no effect since pretty much the start so absolutely and you know and and i suppose to be fair like a fair few that that were weren't weren't quite uh, in that vein <laughs> oh oh they, they they didn't put it on a plate for you but it was no. there um so if and 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 i and i absolutely appreciate that people who hadn't paid much more than surface level attention to yeah. no effects could very easily miss that but like, yeah, I I, I, I will say like having listened now to their back catalogue up until this point through this podcast, I mean, like even from the outset, uh, I do find it strange this view that they are sort of like a fratty band. Like, yeah, sure. There are, there are, there are silly songs. Like there are songs with dumb takes or whatever. I mean, but, I mean I'm mainly thinking of On The Rag. Yeah, absolutely. Which, which has um, it front and set. Hot, you only hot need- Dog Down A Hallway. Oh yeah, yeah, hot dog in a hallway. But again, that's sort of again because Mike, not so much anymore, it would seem. But Mike had a thing for big women. Mm-hmm. I don't know where that's gone because just one day he stopped talking about it. I don't know if <laughs> he's got new kinks. I mean, like, there's only so many kinks. Uh, that's true. I suppose have. you know it's like um, it's like a uh, sourcing out your suitcase in a Resident Evil game. It's like, well, <laughs> if if I take the big girl kink, I'm not going to be able to take the piss kink. So I'll leave the big girl kink in the in the cabinet, and I'll take the piss kink with me. Yeah, like, all right, that's a good idea. You are that coming is, up to a boss after all. I think that is one of the best analogies I've ever heard. <laughs> Kinks are like your a briefcase in Resident Evil. Yeah, <laughs> I get that. it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> He luckily he moves all the green herb out for white powder, so it's um, you know, it's <laughs> a little easier for him that way. So there was a little bit of a, a spat back and forth. Um, although uh, Mike does consider Decepticon to be uh, Le Tigre's best song because he mentioned them in uh, Linoleum. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he said uh, something to the effect of um, he was talking about you know Linoleum's legacy and said when it's featured in Le Tigre's best song. <laughs> so uh that's nice um but yeah so that one is uh, I, musically i think it's great it's uh lovely yeah. fast it just sounds incredibly good so um uh really really nice uh really nice there we're sort of and then um we go from that very fast slice of action to uh eat the meek one of the uh, one of the one of the low key no effects classics, absolutely. And I think for me, one of the highlights of this album. Um, I've said, you know, I love the scar on this album, and mm. 
Eat the Meek really does have everything you want from a NoFX scar number. Um, it's it's delightful, up to and including a little bit of a Jamaican accent. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, is that, all right, Mike has said stuff over the years and people like that. No one has ever picked up Hefe for his range of, um, right? of uh, non-Mexican accents, but I guess that's the pass you get. I did notice, though, on um, a few listens, it's kind of only the opening verse that has um, a Jamaican twang to it. Yes, there's there's a lilt to it, I suppose, isn't there? Like, kill all the white man, that's obviously a sort of, that's sort of a joke song as well, Mm -hmm. even though it's great. But it's, um, yeah, this one is, uh, but it's also, uh, I mean, it's really, really great when they do it live now uh, with Karina joining in as well um, yeah. with her her penchant. For, uh, by the way, drink, everyone, if you're waiting for me to mention Karina Danike. Um, <laughs> you can, can all finish your drinks now. Um, but um, the, especially with her sort of fondness for, for reggae and stuff and, and uh, blending in with all of that stuff. It is... It is great, and I always forget how good it is. It's just one of those ones that never jumps to my mind when I think of no effect songs, probably mm-hmm. because it's so out of character, because it's not even like ska in a sort of ska punk way. It's like straight up reggae vibes, you know. It's one of the songs that when I was like getting into no effects, when I heard Eat the Meek, it was like, oh, what? Like they are like a proper band with like genuine range who can do like <laughs> yeah, all yeah. sorts of stuff. Like th- this isn't just a punk band and it certainly isn't just a pop punk band like they yeah. they have got so many um you know strings to their bow yeah i th- i think um i think you could easily make someone a playlist and they would think and you'd think that they're just like a sort of a blink 182 style joke band yeah because you could just do them mainly songs about you know silly daft stuff and then a couple of like slight well no they don't do any like mawkish sincere love songs but a couple of sort of straight up sort of romantic or love songs my heart is yearning well yeah well that's it that's the perfect blend (laughs) uh uh but you know that's the that kind of thing or you could you know just do all their scar stuff and all that kind of thing i remember ages ago rancid released a couple of best ofs and they uh they call them all the punk rockers and the Moon Stompers, so they did all their they did all their best punk songs on a on an LP, and uh, all of their best ska stuff, mm-hmm. ska reggae world whatever, on um, on another one. And I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. And I thought, oh, no effects could probably manage that. Absolutely, they could. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I think it would be, I think both of them would be hugely strong, but I I think of them as both as doing all of that. Either I don't differentiate no effects doing scar to no effects doing punk rock. Not with that, not with rancid either, really. But I've, rancid don't do that thing of scar verse punk chorus. Yeah, they play it sort of straight two tone scar or punk rock. They don't blend them in yeah. the same in the middle of the same song yeah. in a more sort of US scar punk what you think of as like the third wave ska punk movement, mm. which is, mm-hmm. oh, we've got a, a verse here and then everyone sing along when we jump on the distortion box. Yeah. You know, that kind of vibe. So by the way, if you're listening, don't cry. Perfectly valid. It's fine. 
<laughs> Scar fans can be like that, you know. It's they I really think... are. They really are the improvisers of the musical world. But um... <laughs> I um I think Eat the Meek is a fantastic gift to their live set as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, like Absolutely. I think there's a there's a lot of out there's a lot of tunes on this which, um, you know, alter the face of their live set really. Mm. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think so, and I think because they are so because they're not those overthought complex things, they can be recreated comfortably or yes. improved on. Even you know, a, you know, a better live if you like. You know, I mean, I think a lot of that's the case for a lot of their stuff. There's a lot, a lot of bands you can never quite capture that live sound in the studio. Some people can get close, but. But this, uh, yeah. So, yeah. So, eat the meek, and then we come into the last four, which are but quite. Does a... um, one question though about eat the meek? Does does Mike play bass and sing eat the meek live? He does, but it's not as complex a right. It's not as walky. It's more doom 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 kind of thing. It's more sure. Yeah. It, it, if it was faster, then I imagine he'd find it difficult. But he. Um, Yes, he does. Uh, he does for most of them, to be honest. It's only mm-hmm. Rico that he swaps with Melvin yeah. for, that I'm aware of. If I'm wrong, do let me know, dear listener. Um, but yeah, uh, Desperation's gone. Love it. Yeah. Not really but, much to say. It sort of feels very at home on this album. Yeah, but I would also say I think the Desperation's gone is almost, not quite as much as the ones that you've said before, but like almost a little bit heavy petting zoo. Um, I could I could imagine this song on on that album and it not oh, feeling maybe. horrendously out of place. I, I think the other two you've mentioned are more more so in that vein. Yeah, I guess so. I suppose it could be uh, it could be put on there, but um, I don't I don't hear that as much myself. I've got to say, but uh, I do. Yeah, I like the desperation's gone, um, mm-hmm. and then we get to uh, the. Uh, yeah, flossing a dead horse, a little Herb Albert inspired instrumental. Oh, it's lovely. Yeah, it's great. It's it's very. I don't know why. It's just it seems like a weird one to throw in, but it's sort of it's weird because they they're not a band that jam with each other particularly. Mm-hmm. So this one would have been sort of written rather than something they've come up with because they used to they they used to do they they used to open by. Uh, with their sound check, which is when their keyboardist, it was Limo at the time, one of their roadies, would come out and start playing Heart and Soul on the keyboard. And then the band would slowly join in, and Hefe would join in on the trumpet. And then they'd do it in a flossing a dead horse style, and that would be their opening number. Uh, I remember seeing them do that a couple of times. I think. Yeah, I've I've definitely seen that on like you know videos on YouTube and stuff oh, yeah, like yeah. that. I I wonder if because um uh the the lead trumpet in Flossing a Dead Horse it really does feel like you know almost like a vocal melody of a song, and I I wonder if there was at one point it was it was meant to be the vocal line, and then they couldn't quite get oh. the words or tone of it right. And like, oh, should we just you know. Stick a trump, do do a trumpet on there because it just feels like the, the way Mike writes songs, the way he writes 
uh, vocal melodies. It kind of fills that space in the song. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, but then I suppose that is like um, the Herb Albert kind of influence that he yes. has in the yeah, Tijuana yeah. Brass. So that just reminded me of a bit of trivia. You know the film Hook? I do, yeah. yeah. The Peter Pan sequel with Robin Williams. That was originally going to be a musical. Oh. All of the score that you hear in that, that all had lyrics. No way. Yeah, yeah. And they were going to make it like a full-fledged musical, but presumably they uh, they put in how much all the sets were going to cost. And they went, yeah, we can't afford to make this a musical as well. So they went, all right, then fine. <laughs> so uh, that's my guess anyway, but yeah. So we're uh, coming into uh, Quartin Session, a song about uh, Smelly. Yeah, I, I will say like, I don't really remember Quartin Session. It's uh, nothing seems much fun. Oh, it's that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I think this has a very similar keyboard sound to Franco on American. And I wonder if it's the same synth. Does it have a synth on it? Yeah, 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 yeah. In the, um, it has like a burp, 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 burp. That's guitar feedback. Really? That's uh, that's guitar feedback. One of the pickups uh, with the volume turned down and then just flicking the toggle as it's up against the... Uh... Ah, because it, it sounds to me like a very similar synth sound to the, um, you know, the, the synth yeah. line in Franco and American. As far as I'm aware, there are no keyboards on this. But yeah, that's, um, I think... Yeah, of course, because Because at the end the... it goes... Doo, doo, and then, then it starts to squeal the feedback. Yes, of course. Oh, how interesting. Yep. It's a song a bit like Wore Out the Soles of My Party Boots. You familiar with that one? It's a sort of, I can't drink anymore because I've done too much drinking. And um, it was Mike writing that about Smelly. (laughs) It's um. And then it takes on a very different tone in 2023. It is a really good song and I do like it. I feel like it probably could have been called Nothing Seems Much Fun Anymore to Me. Well, it's um, um, it loves a pun title, does that boy? Sure. But uh, yeah, and then uh, we come to the final uh, track, "Falling in Love." This is a good one. I really, I think this is a a strong closer. In fact, I think for yeah. um, don't really talk about how they close albums, mm-hmm. but this is uh, for me is a very strong closer because again, it's only two minutes seventeen, and it starts off with that. Um, sort of very lo-fi, bah, 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 yeah, bah, and then the drums come in, and then it explodes, and so the intro is really long, and then, um, yeah, it's about uh people literally falling uh, out of the sky in a plane. <laughs> so yeah, falling in love, but yeah, and then there's harmonies at the end. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, it's just really, really wonderful. Doing their best bad religion impression. Oh yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's real bad religion vibes on that, uh, in a very very good way, which shows how far they've come from, in what twelve years since ribbed. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's what the the legacy of this album is, isn't it? It's like showing you like the progression of the band. Oh yeah, absolutely. This is this is this for me, and a personal favorite thing. This is where they they hit their peak for me. There is a secret track on here. Uh, we discussed it briefly last time, which is um, Howard Stern hearing drugs are good and saying, 
and saying it sounds like disco and then saying no FX, no talent. And then all of his, uh, all of his uh, minions going, oh, you're so clever, Howard. I find it's really going to stick it to Tipper Gore. I'm not like uh, I'm not that familiar with Howard Stern. I'm aware of him. I know like his um, his stance in the culture. I guess like I know yeah. that he's a big like cultural figure in America. Yes. But like his criticism of of it in, in this final bit is like he says like that's just not rocking. That's not rocking. And I kind of I'd love what is like a quintessential Howard Stern track. What was he like? Was he into Kiss or something? Like what was? No idea. I really couldn't say. I know um, he was very, very brown nosy in a thing I saw where Dave Grohl was on his show. Um, so maybe he likes his rock a little more. I don't think he likes it at either side of the road. I think he, he likes it to follow the line down the middle. But I don't yeah. know. He yeah. might... He, he might have the fucking choicest, sweet-ass music taste you've ever heard. I don't know. I, I just don't know <laughs> enough. But, um, yeah. But certainly no effects have done fine without the Howard Stern stamp of approval. So uh, I don't think... Uh, I th- and I think they put it on there because they thought it was funny. Absolutely, yeah. You yeah. can tell it's just been taken with the, the you know, just... Yeah, of course. They've just laughed it off. like. Yeah, of course. Um, and also, you know, they were... I think uh, in the liner notes, I poured over these as a as a young young one. Would you like to hear the ten answers to the most asked ten questions we'd never like to be asked again? Absolutely. This is all handwritten by Mike. Um, number one: How's the tour going? None of your business. <laughs> when are you coming back? Hopefully never. <laughs> Where do you play tomorrow? Another overpriced club. What does no FX mean? Your mama. <laughs> Why do they call you Fat Mike? You're not fat. I've been sick. <laughs> how, how long has no effects been playing for? 15 years, which makes our band older than you. Why was your last album so slow? Because we thought the executives at MTV would like us more. <laughs> what do you think about Green Day and The Offspring? Green Day have cute and well-behaved offspring. <laughs> was El Jefe really in the Bad News Bears? Yes. It, he wasn't. <laughs> Where do you see no effects going in 10 years? Down. <laughs> so there they are. That's them. Uh, yes, it does. Uh, it, uh, yeah, it says in the line of notes, no effects is Jefe, Mel, Smelly and Fatty. Additional superior musicians on the record were Serge Slovnik on the tuba and trombone, Nate mm-hmm. Albert on the chanky guitar, Ryan Green on the tambourine. Backup vocals by Spike Slauson, Eric Melvin, El Jefe, and Adam Crystal Boy. I don't know who that is. That's about it, really. And then some, uh, you know, thanking all of the people uh, who did it. So, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting one. I think it's... The sound of it is very specific. You can You can tell when something was recorded for this album i think yeah it stands out quite a lot because the next one the next major release was the decline which sounds more like this than any other album but is also its own thing Mm -hmm. if you i think anyway to to my recollection uh and then the next sort of full-length release 
was um, pump up the Valum. Yeah, and that's a that's a big jump, I think. I think so. Yes, I agree. Um, we'll be. I think the next release we've got to do is the decline. Really. Yeah, because I, mean, I think like this is almost for me. Like I see this as like the end of their mid period. I feel like you have early no effects um, with, from Animal Liberation um, up until before Punk and Drublick. I'd say Punk and Drublick to this is like their mid period, and then afterwards. They kind of have like two late periods almost. They um, they have. I think they. Are, I I tend to divide it up as pre hefe. Sure. So I sort of go, which basically cuts it into eighties, no effects, yeah. and then nineties, no effects. And pump up the Valum was released in two thousand, mm. and does set the trajectory because I think after that it was, what was it wolves in wolves clothing? I forget. Um, uh, there's Surfer, which oh, is yeah, an that's, EP. Oh, yeah, that's an EP. Then a split. Oh, War on Errorism was after Pump Up the Valum. Ah, uh, wow. And that, So I sort of, I think that War on Errorism was a bit of a change. So I'm going to include Pump Up the Valum in the 90s. Oh, really? Because I find, and, you know, I haven't listened to Pump Up the Valum in a long time, but I find Pump Up the Valum quite similar sounding to War and Errorism, but I, I haven't listened to them in a while. So maybe. maybe. Again, I, I'm I'm absolutely happy to uh, change that, uh, should I be. But yeah, so, um, so yeah, next time we'll do The Decline. What are your sort of final thoughts on um, So Long and Thanks for All the Shoes? I'm glad I've re-listened to it because I do feel a little bit closer to the album than I did. There's just something that keeps me at, at, at arm's length from this album. And I think it is what we mentioned earlier about the guitars not being uh, particularly riffy, not particularly beefy, and the, the album in general sounding quite trebly. Um, yes. I, I obviously, um, I think it's great that it's done that so that it feels like its own thing. Like I feel like it, this album has its own unique sound and i think that's brilliant and something that should be commended it just happens to not be personally my favorite sound that they have made um but the you know there's some absolute bangers on here <laughs> oh yeah absolutely and i will once again say this has my favorite scar tracks of any no effects album i don't think they ever do scar with as much gusto yeah and different types of scar as well. Like yeah. I think that all out angst, eat the meek, and to a certain extent, flossing a dead horse are very different. I I think they do, oh they do like anarchy camp. Mm. Um, oh, is that sure. on errorism? I think is that errorism or wolves? I forget. I'm not familiar. I don't think it's on wolves. Okay, it could be on uh, errorism then. But um, you know they do a bit of uh, a bit of it here and there, but never as as much as uh, as on here, or never as successfully. I don't think. Maybe. Well, I think it sits in with the sound that they've made on this album. They've made everything quite trebly, so it, it makes That's sense true. To, to do them here. That's true, and um, I think I think it is. It I think it's sort of just reinforced that uh, it is it is my favourite. Um, it's also lovely to listen to this album at this time of year because there is something that is very summery. I think, yeah, I think if we'd done this in November, it might have been uh, uh, maybe a different story. But mm-hmm. it's, um, yeah, it's weird when you don't need bottom end. 
yeah it's it's uh it's pretty good but yeah I what's think your that... like standout tracks on this oh, gosh so many because um, i know it i know you're a big fan of this album so i'm interested to hear like what are your particular standout moments it's interesting because i sort of consider this to be like a symphony like a sure. like a um like a piece uh, entirely i would say uh i'm telling tim um Eat the Meek, Falling in Love, My Job to Keep Punk Rock Elite. Yeah. Murder the Government and Monosyllabic Girl taken as one. Yeah, fair. Um there's not there's no there's not a skipper on here for me at all. I really like um all his suits are torn. Yes. And it was actually on uh re-listening to it for this podcast that made me realise actually how much I like that song because I think previously I'd seen it as just a little bit of a an album track and I, I certainly don't anymore yeah i think i think this i was thinking oh, i don't know if this does have any standout tracks but i think it's because they all stand out to me they're sort of fair yeah it's made they're all made average by being so high mm-hmm. <laughs> if you see what i mean yeah, yeah um but again i think i think my relationship with this album is fairly singular amongst my relationships with other no effects albums like uh i was i was at university when um um war and errorism came out so that was quite a different eddie to the eddie that picked this up in 1998 Mm -hmm. when i'd have been what 15 uh which makes this band precisely the same age as me um (laughs) so um uh yeah so i and realizing that you could have this rather than just the uh you know the the new metal stuff which i i didn't like because I, I wasn't that i liked the music that was coming out of Britpop and stuff like that but i like sort of suede and pulp a little bit more because they're a bit more androgynous they weren't quite as macho i liked oasis's music um quite a lot of the first couple of records um particularly we- the ones that are a little more sort of but, but but there was a very swaggery braggadocious thing amongst the sort of indie kids it was like men behaving badly new lad kind of thing where everyone was a bit sort of get on the lager put your best shirt on don't take any shit from anyone are you giving me shit what the fuck are you looking at puff <laughs> that kind of shit and i just i was like what's the music i quite enjoyed i was like i don't like this at all um and so this lot and then you find out that the pictures on the inside aren't even of the band i was like there's something going on here and it, <laughs> and then and then it's like oh no there's other music listen to this rock music um and then you've got to I'm gonna break your fucking face tonight yeah of course you dear sit down it's just <laughs> like i don't it's exactly the same shit just with a fucking baggy trousers on i don't need this bollocks so <laughs> so uh disagreeing with kathleen hannah as i have done in the past uh, i would say that this was my uh non-fratty entry into music that while it may not be the most cerebral of all the punk rock it's actually a lot more cerebral than people give it a lot of credit for so yeah i think i think it's um there's a lot in this album that doesn't jump out at you as being brilliant but i Mm. think behind the scenes there's some very clever production going on that isn't as noticeable i I think this is one of those life-changing albums which means that i have to take it 
as an entirety. Mm-hmm. I can't. So, like, I really loved Punk and Joblik. I still do. But, you know, I'd sort of be like, oh, Laurie Mize is coming up. Oh, this one, you know. Yeah. And and this one is just, is just the entire thing. It would be like, you know, you just listen to Beethoven's Fifth. You yeah. don't you don't go i'm going to skip to this bit you just listen to the whole 40 minutes of it and and go that's that that's how it's supposed to be listened to and same with this yeah i you know what i think i will agree with you there i think this is their most consistent album like it's not it's not mm-hmm. full of peaks and troughs like albums usually are it just kind of starts at a, a level of high quality and i do think it continues throughout mm. And I think that little experiment of theirs to to do the twenty minute songs and stuff like that. Ironically, their next experiment was a twenty minute song, but um, <laughs> but the the you know the thing. Um, and I suppose once you've successfully done that, you do go. Well, I think it was basically Mike was. Um, we'll talk about that during the decline. I, I'm not going to regurgitate Chris Demek's podcast here now we'll wait until next time to do that um but um yeah i think it's uh, i think it's a wonderful piece of work and um yes might be a desert island disc for me uh, if i could have the whole thing so um that's i'd love I to know what people think about this album as well like do email us and like absolutely um please don't not that anyone has so far but please don't hold back just because this album means something to me I understand that Heavy Petting Zoo will mean something to you lot. And we've not, yep. at the time of recording this, we've not released Heavy Petting Zoo episode yet. So, um, Soz. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry about that. If, you, if, you're, if you're listening to this one, then that's very big of you and we appreciate it. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, that, that, that album will mean as much to someone as this one does to me. And hearing people say negative things about it, I imagine it will sting. But that's only because I've invested a lot of my of my very limited personality into this. So you know that's uh, <laughs> that's how it goes, I guess. But yeah, please do let us know. Podcast at gmail dot com. Um, yeah, great stuff. But what were your highlights? Um, you know, I th- I think obviously I like um, all his suits are torn. I like all our angst. Mm. I think it's got a cracking opening number in yeah. it's my job to keep punk rock elite uh again falling in love is you know and eat the meek i think are like really standout songs in that i think that they are slightly cleverer than the standard no effects song sure um and yeah and some lovely fun bits in the middle you know i'm telling ting tim champs-elysees yes it's you know it is a pretty consistently brilliant album yes wonderful well there we go um well, let's uh, let's do this one properly. We'll jump back out and we'll see you all in the outro. Well, there we go. I think no more can be said about that at all, academically or otherwise. We've really, really nailed it. We've said all of the words that could have been said about this beautiful album. It's uh, really a wondrous, wondrous thing. Um, and uh, have, have you... Because I've heard if in a few places, and I don't know if this is just because of the name, but some people have said, oh, this was supposed to be their last album, but it did quite well, so they carried on. Yeah, I think Ali Bryce told us that, didn't he? Oh, yes, I think that, that does sound familiar. But I don't know if that's a rumour or not, or just the sort of assumption people make because of the name or, or anything. So I really don't know. 
I think there are a lot of rumors that circulate around no effects in general, because, you know, like back in the 90s, they they didn't really even do interviews for for a long stretch of their career. So I feel like there's a lot of myths out there. There are. Also, Mike lies. That's true. Uh, Mike often talks about how he never lies. (laughs) But he does does bullshit. He does change his mind a lot. Oh, he changes his mind, um, uh, a girl's prerogative after all. But uh, I think when he talks about how he never lies, I think he means like, oh, if I don't like something, I'll, I won't say I like that or and that kind mm. of thing. I think he will give bullshit answers for his own amusement. Yeah. Because there's stuff like, um, you know, there's the thing about, oh, was, was El Jefe in the film The Bad News Bears? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, he was in that. And and he wasn't. <laughs> so um, I think what he means is he never lies when it's something actually important. Maybe that's, yeah. um, you know, for, for, for big deals, if someone comes up and go, Mike, have you been saying shit about me? He'll be go, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, like uh, I think he once said, um, oh, yeah, Henry Rollins, in an interview, he said, Henry Rollins doesn't like me very much. Uh, he keeps trying to trying to fight me. Um, and uh, someone said, oh, why is that? He goes, oh, he said I was talking shit about him. And the interviewer said, well, were you? He goes, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, you know, it's fair enough, isn't it? You know, if you're going to talk, I think it's that thing of if you're going to talk shit about someone and then go, me? No, mate, no, that's kind of shitty. But yeah, so uh, I don't know. I, You know, I think it's because they're Douglas Adams fans and it was so long and thanks for all the fish and, you know, yep. that kind of thing. So. I was told they were just given a lot of free shoes at their warp tour in like the, from the warp tour they would just get a lot of free shoes from various like skateboarding companies that sponsored I the know event, they get but... I know they thanked Airwalk uh before for mm. um for giving them free shoes but I I understood it as being that people used to throw shoes on the stage Fair enough people used to cuz I mean certainly the the trendier skate shoe, your DC, your Etni, your something like that. The big mm-hmm. uh, the big chunky soft boys, very often slipped on with the laces left undone. Yeah, they'll come off if you're crowd surfing or if you're in a circle pit or something like that. They'll come straight off. They'll hurt know? as well. Quite chunky buggers. Well, yeah. I mean, they're very soft and padded, but um, true, you know. But given given that I sort of barely wore anything other than Converse style uh, shoes for since I was about sixteen until just checking what I'm wearing today, no pair of Vans. But um, you know, <laughs> uh, but until you know, very very recently, that was sort of basically the only kind of um, non formal shoe I would wear. Always laces done up, so you can't you can't steal my shoes at a punk gig. <laughs> You know, well, and that's not a challenge, by the way, because you're you're very unlikely. I'm going to almost say almost definitely unlikely to see me atop a crowd, um, <laughs> crowd surfing. I'm too I'm too uh, unwieldy. I'm too big to uh, put people through that. So uh, I I did do when I was younger, but uh, not very often. Sometimes to uh, to get a different uh, spot. I did it. <laughs> um, 
was just trying to think that was uh, the the worst crowd surfing experience I ever had was at a stereophonics gig because obviously it was <laughs> it was just after they'd released their second album and it was 80% of the audience's first gig ever so they didn't understand it was horrible oh man um, yeah and it was a shit album as well which uh you know first one was quite good anyway any closing thoughts on so long you know it's a good album and i I agree you know like it's one of their better ones but on a re-listen i do think it's interesting that it actually sounds quite unique against the rest of their catalog just like like sonically i know we've spoken about it a lot in the main body of the episode but you know i just think it has a, a very different uh sound to their other albums but it also sounds super familiar and i think that's really interesting it's as unique a sounding album as heavy petting zoo is i think ah yes because they're both and i think they're sort of like the pendulum swing like heavy petting zoo sounds markedly different to most of their albums and so long sounds equally different in a almost opposite way in that there's hardly any bottom end it's a lot more um it's a lot more bright it's a lot more present whereas i find heavy petting zoo to be kind of depressing sonically we've been through this we don't need to uh murky up these waters again previously yeah. on punk rock elite <laughs> yeah but just not gay why does it sound like this rubbish <laughs> punk rock elite now continues that was, uh, I was actually, sorry, that was one of the funniest jokes I've ever heard in uh, South Park was uh, they did a, 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 it was one of their multi-part episodes and right at the beginning of the second part, Cartman just goes, previously on Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> <laughs> made me laugh, made me laugh so much and I have no idea why, it was just, just really funny. <laughs> there you go uh, do get in touch if you've got any uh views thoughts interesting facts about this album that we failed to mention um, absolutely always interested to hear what uh listeners have to say yep punk rock elite podcast at gmail.com and uh yeah follow us on instagram uh with with that's the only social media we do really um oh you can find us on facebook as well but it's mainly stuff from instagram that's getting shared to facebook as well (laughs) um you're not going to find us on um uh x oh yeah well i mean you might find me on x on a weekend but oh that's true yeah that's that is true yeah i i won't be on it and and as a as a podcast we won't be collectively on x but um (laughs) Elon Musk's X. I mean, we <laughs> isn't all that know. Grimes. It is Grimes, isn't it? Yeah, that's um, it's, it's a funny way to name uh, <clears throat> name a thing after someone, isn't it? Just their relationship to you. It's like, well, I've named this social media platform after my father. It's called Dad. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, guess well, I guess so. I guess if you spend that much money, you want to really put your own mark on it. It's a bit like buying a house and then spray painting the word mine on it and then blowing it up with dynamite. (laughs) Still, but whilst telling everyone what a good idea and what a clever boy you are whilst uh, whilst you're doing it. Anyway. Very clever boy. Absolutely. Um, Although, uh, oh God, we didn't even talk about the fact that Justin Sane released a, uh, a statement. 
Oh, did he? I've not seen that. Well, I'll have to go and read that. Yeah, it's um, it's saying that the the accusations are not true, and then anti flag oh. the other three. Uh, I know, wild. And then anti flag the other three. They um, they released a statement saying um, uh, these accusations are are horrible and uh, absolutely the antithesis of what we believe, and as such, the only thing we can do is um is split up because it's so the antithesis of our own perspectives and um you know we uh we hope survivors of this can uh can heal and you know there was some people that said oh no solidarity it's like what with a rapist come on um so yeah it seems like um it seems like anti-flag are not going to be uh continuing in any way but uh yeah just insane. Released a uh, a rather tepid response. Uh, no comments, thanks. But uh, do have a look at who likes the uh, likes it, just in case. <laughs> I I do feel sorry for bands when you know, like lead singers turn out to be the wrong guns because I think yeah. you can replace drummers and guitarists and stuff. But if the member that left wrote all of the words to those songs, it's a bit trickier to reform with a new member. I'm thinking, you know, like like. Lost Profits. I don't like Lost Profits musically, no. personally, but like I feel sorry for the other members of the band that they don't get to tour those songs that they made very successful yes. and popular. Well, they they tried they they tried to make music again as a different, but I think it was like I think they tried to make like some electronic music, didn't they, under the name Defiance? I want to say, but I, maybe I, your your memory may well be stronger than mine on this. I just know that the 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 other members of Lost Profits went right let's make some music and i think it was them they were like let's process this in a in a yeah a healthy way but the rest of the world were like um you might want to leave this just a little longer because yeah i don't know if we're ready for that because there's obviously and obviously still suspicions of how much do do the other members know you Mm. know i mean with I mean, the Lost Prophets is a very extreme um, and unpleasant case. Yeah, uh, uh, much more out of the ordinary. Whereas apparently the anti-flag one sounds like a story that's um, pretty common, which is nauseating in another way. But I, yeah, so mm-hmm. that's uh, it's a it's a great shame that that's it's a great shame that it happened and and an great... even greater shame that we're ending this wonderful episode on this note i know i, I should have made a note really and, and mentioned it earlier because that was one of the reasons that we're now recording the uh intros and outros much closer to the time of release so we can address things happening in the punk world because i only i only just realized i might put this in earlier i might not i only just realized that i think at some point in ali's interview talk about how because um anti-flag played at hatfield uh-huh and ali was going yeah i love anti-flag and um and i, I and i'm hoping that we've made it clear that this was that ali's oh, yeah. interview was recorded a long time ago now like a month ago. oh yeah like quite a long time ago so uh no one's no one's got in touch no one's said um fucking hell i was enjoying that until he said that weird thing well but- ali bryce is cancelled now Oh, I can't believe we inadvertently cancelled Ali. Oh, well. <laughs> Still, this should mean his ticket sales at Edinburgh go through the fucking roof. So uh, we did it for you, Ali. Well done, mate. 
I've edited it so it sounds like he's like like likes them now. But um, <laughs> yeah, um, and I, yeah, I'm pretty sure Lily from the Meths also said that you know having anti flag watching was like a real thrill and stuff like that. And it's oh like, yeah, yeah. But again, this all happened a long time ago. So uh, in you know, or like you know, a month or two ago. So yeah, if you hear any of those things, just have a look at the timeline. Um, solidarity to all the victims of all of the people who behave like just insane um, has done brackets allegedly close brackets, but you know. So yes. Anyway, we'll be back next week with um, we'll be back next week with uh, something pretty special. Yeah, yeah, special special guest next week. Special, put it in special your, guest. Put it in your diary. Yeah, absolutely. It's well worth uh, well worth checking out because um, I mean they're, they're they're taking some time out of recording an album, which is uh, which is nice. And uh, as we mentioned earlier, there's a particular social media uh, platform, a single letter, which in Roman numerals will tell you the number album that this artist is currently recording oh i i understand what you just said that's I'm clever just dropping a little clue there uh, i don't want to drop too big a clue because again until it's actually recorded and safely stored in the uh in in the computer can't ever reveal too much but we're excited about it and i think you'll all get a kick out of it so thanks red thank you eddie Welcome. See you all soon. Um, Bye-bye, everyone. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Punk Rock Elite. It was a Pick Scraped and Fruitcake co-production by Eddie French and Red Redmond. If you're not following us on Instagram or subscribe to the podcast, please do. The main theme and production was done by Eddie French. Please contact us at punkrockelitepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you.